your seats so you can follow along with us. Everybody comfortable as far as the, the weather, the heat inside of here? I mean, it's not too warm, not too cold, just okay? All right. Okay. James and I got in trouble first service because my wife said it was too cold. There's got to be some blame with you. There's got to be some blame. <laughs> Guilty by association. <laughs> All right. Second right. Peter chapter 1, first four verses. Peter writes, Simon Peter a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. The title of my message this morning is Getting Back in the Game. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together this morning to be in your word, knowing that your Holy Spirit is here to teach us, instruct us, guide us in all righteousness. And so, Lord, we pray that we would just have open ears to receive all that you have for us this morning. We also pray, Father, if there's anyone that has joined us in this service that does not have a a relationship with your Son, Jesus Christ. They're not born again yet. We pray, Father, that you would especially touch their heart today, that they would see their need to turn from their sin and turn to you and receive Christ as their Savior this morning. Thank you for this time together, Lord. We commit it to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I've shared this story before, but I love it. So here it goes again. Charlie Brown, he's at bat. He strikes out again. And he trudges back to the bench and he laments, he moans, rats, I'll never be a big league player. I just don't have it. All my life I've dreamed of playing in the big leagues, but I know I'll never make it. Well, Lucy turns to console him and, and Charlie Brown, you're thinking too far ahead, she says. What you need to do is set some more immediate goals. He looks up at her and says, immediate goals? Lucy says, yes. Start with the next inning. When you go out to pitch, see if you can walk out to the mound without falling down. <laughs> Have you ever felt like that spiritually? Many of us wonder if we will ever make it to the big leagues with our Christian faith. Perhaps you feel like you've struck out so many times that you don't think you can take another step because you're afraid of falling down. One of the underlying themes of the Olympics, if you've watched any of it, is the understanding that success doesn't come without battle scars. You know, you hear of these athletes that, you know, four years ago they, they tripped up and they fell or they did this. And now for the next four years, they've been training all for this moment. Men and women, because of injury or mistake, they failed to achieve their goal they set. Perhaps they wondered if they'll ever see victory. But they started training and exercising over and over. And in the next four years, they get that one more chance of success. I think there's, there's situations in our lives, circumstances that help us to relate to these incredible athletes. We wear battle scars and sometimes wonder if we'll see victory. And yet as believers in Jesus Christ, we can know and rest easily knowing that God uses battle scars for His glory. 
Hosea chapter 6 verse 1 tells us, Come and let us return to the Lord, for he is torn, but he will heal us. He is stricken, but he will bind us up. I like that verse. In fact, it has been said, often the doorway to success is entered through the hallway of failure. Or another way of putting it is that at first you don't succeed, relax. You're just like the rest of us. See, we've all had times when we've fallen flat on our faces. I mean, you can look back over history and think of individuals who, who that failed only to make a great comeback later. I heard that it was Albert Einstein who actually started out in remedial math when he began before he discovered that E equaled MC squared. Or Isaac Newton had to have an apple fall on his head to rediscover the theory, theory of gravity. Or Michael Jordan didn't make the varsity team in basketball in high school until later on. He, you know, and obviously, you know, he did pretty well after that. Listen, we'll all have set, we'll, we will all have setbacks in life. And I want you to know that if you failed, you're in good company. No doubt Peter never forgot his extreme failure in trying to live faithfully for Christ. His outspoken boasting. Though all deny you, I'll never deny you, Lord. Though he was forgiven, obviously that is something you never forget. Doesn't help that it was recorded in Matthew and Mark's gospel for all of history to read. Yet the Lord recommissioned him and told him, Peter, do you love me? Then feed my sheep. And Peter, despite his failure, is taking the Lord's words seriously. And literally, he's being obedient to the calling that Christ has given to him. And so Peter, by way of encouragement, is writing to Christians to help them see and help us to see that God is not done with us. That despite failures, we know that God has given us everything we need to live godly lives, wholly set apart lives for him, if we, if we simply walk in faith. Now, Second Peter is a little different than First Peter. First Peter, uh, Peter was concerned with the dangers from the outside like the persecution and the oppression and the suffering that the church was going through and, and would be going through. But in Second Peter, he's more concerned about the dangers from the inside. And he's going to warn us about the false teachers and the deception that's going on in the last days. But at the very core of this whole chapter, chapter 1, this section we're looking at, deals with our spiritual growth, growing in the Lord, getting back on our feet and doing that which God has called us to do. So if you're taking notes, we're going to look at five things this morning in these four verses that will help us get back on track, back in the game. Five Ps this morning we're going to look at. The first P is the person. Look at verse 1 again. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ. So the person is Peter. Now don't pass over his name too quickly. He doesn't just call himself Peter. He calls himself Simon Peter. This shows us the before and after Peter. You know, you've seen those extreme makeovers where they bring the person out and I think they make them look really, really ugly when they bring them out to begin with. I don't think they're really... Uh, okay, I shouldn't go there. But anyway, afterwards, they look, oh, that's not the same person. This is an incredible makeover. Well, Simon, Peter had the same makeover. Simon's name actually means shifting sand. And it speaks of something unstable, like sand is. That's who, who Peter was... Uh, prior to Christ, undisciplined, unstable, like shifting sand. He had a lot of good intentions, but no faithfulness. But then when he met Jesus, everything changed for Peter. In fact, we're told in John 1 verse 42 that Jesus looked at Peter and said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You should be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. In Aramaic, the word for stone is Cephas. In Greek, it's the word uh, Petros. 
And that's where we get our English word for Peter. The point is that Peter would no longer be shifting sand, but he would become a rock, stable and faithful after he was born again. See, using his old name, Simon, he's recalling his old life, and then using Peter, he's bringing up his new life in Christ. He's showing us the same thing takes place in us when we come to Christ. The transformation takes place in our lives in each one of us. Let me give you an example of this. Phrenology. Maybe you've heard this word before. Maybe you haven't. It's a term that was used back in the 1800s. It's the study of a person's personality traits through the reading of the bumps on their heads. Now you may say, well, if you've been to the school of hard knocks, see, that's how they figure it out. Well, we laugh at that. But years ago, this was the science that they had. With that, I found this story about a phrenologist who was lecturing in a certain town and he could claim that he could tell anyone's nature by examining the bumps on their head. While well, a rough-faced, stern-looking man volunteered to come up to the platform, and after thoroughly examining the man's head, the phrenologist proudly described this man as whole, a cold and hard, very disagreeable disposition. While well, the audience began to laugh in an uproar because they knew this man to be anything but what he described. One of the audience members shouted, Come on, this man is the kindest, warmest person there is. You can be further from the truth. But just then the stern-faced man uh, that was a gammon suddenly spoke up and said, Hold on, hold on a minute. The person that he described as a cold and hard, disagreeable disposition is the exact portrayal of my nature before my Lord Jesus Christ took possession of my life. Since Jesus has come into my life, my life is completely different. And listen, that is true for Peter. It's true for each one of us this morning as believers. Before we come to Christ, we're all in God's eyes sinful. We're vile. But after conversion, through the work of God's Holy Spirit in our lives, we're changed. We're enabled and empowered to live holy lives, lives that bring glory to God. And even though we fail, and even though we fall, we need to look to the Lord and get back up and get back in the game. That brings us to point number two. The person is Peter. The people he's writing to, number two, the people. Look at who Peter's writing to. Second part of verse one. He's writing to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's saying that I'm writing to all those who have the same faith, precious faith, that Peter had. Faith in what Jesus Christ has done for each and every person. Peter says, you've obtained the same like precious faith that I have. The words uh, obtained like precious faith has the meaning of receiving equal citizenship. You know, it's like if, if Prince Charles wanted to become a citizen of the United States, and so did a pub owner also want to become a, you know, a citizen. From totally two different classes uh, of people, their citizenship, though, is, is not based on who they are. It'll be based on the requirements to become a citizen. Both had to file the same paperwork, the same test, get sworn in as a citizen, as citizen the same way. Peter's saying, listen, we've all became citizens of heaven the same way, through faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through Him. That's the only one way to Jesus Christ, to God our Father, through faith. You see, Jesus could represent all men as their Savior from sin. And it was the cross at Calvary that He took upon Himself for my sin and your sin. And He offers to give us that perfect righteousness, to make us that citizen of heaven. Our part is simply to repent of our sin, turn from it, and place our faith and trust in Him. That is the like faith that, that we have in common with Simon Peter. And that's why we can get up from our past failures and get back in the game because it's always been and always will be all about Jesus. 
Now this brings us to the third P, the person, the people, and now the purpose. What's the purpose Peter's writing this letter? Look at verse 2. He tells us, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. The purpose, spiritual knowledge. Now take a note of this word knowledge here. It's a Greek word, epignosis. And it's the study of pig's noses is what it's about. No, it's not. It just sounds like it. It's experiential understanding. That's what Peter's talking about. You could say spiritual knowledge is the theme of Second Peter. Peter says that it's the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord would be multiplied. That, that's his prayer. That's his purpose. That he may impart to you and I some of that experiential knowledge that he has gained in his walk with Jesus Christ. And we know that Peter had some heavy lessons that he learned in life while he walked with Jesus. Lord, if you bid me to come, to step out into the water, uh, I will come out there. Hey, this is great. He's walking on water. And then all of a sudden, blip, 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 as he got his eyes off the Lord. Peter's saying, listen, I've got some insights. I've tried some things that, that you know what? This gives him a heads up, so maybe you don't have to go through some of the things I went through. Experiential understanding of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. That's Peter's purpose, to pass on what he knows. Listen, if you've been walking with the Lord for any amount of time, you too have some experiential understanding of God, of Jesus our Lord, that you can pass on as well. And listen, passing on our faith begins first and foremost in our homes. We're told in Psalm 145, verse 4, One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. There's a story about a family I read that had a priceless family heirloom, a, a vase, and it was passed down from one generation to the next generation. Well, one day, the parents of the family who had the possession of this vase left the teenagers at home, and they went out shopping for the day. Well, when they returned home, you guessed it, their children met the parents at the door with sad faces, and they reported this, Mother, Father, you know that priceless heirloom our family passes down from one generation to the next? while well, our generation just dropped it. <laughs> Listen, every generation has memories. Every generation has stories and values that it wants to pass along to the next generation, to our children. But this is especially true for spiritual values of our faith. And we certainly don't want to neglect, uh, you know, doing this. We, we don't want their faith to be dropped after they leave the house. So it takes passing it along. Let me say, it just doesn't happen by osmosis. We must train our children in the ways of the Lord. We must pass on what God has taught to us, to our children. Well, some people think, well, that's what church is for. I just drop off the kids and, and I, I, I'm out of the game. I don't have to do it. Or maybe they feel it's a lack of knowledge. There's some prior mistake in their lives that they somehow feel disqualified to, to be the primary spiritual influence on their child's life. Listen, if you know that the, the gospel, that, that Jesus Christ is your Lord and your Savior, you know enough to begin influencing the life of your child. And the reality is that you are present much more in your child's life than any church leader could ever be. And the times of testing and struggles that you've gone through in your life has caused you to learn valuable lessons from the Lord that only you can teach to your children. You don't want to cast that aside. You don't want to forget about those things that you have learned. We should desire to pass on what God has worked in our lives to help other people, to make sure that that trial was, was, was for, not for naught. Paul put it this way, and I love this verse, 2 Corinthians 1, 3 and 4. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort others 
When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given to us. I love that because it's so important for us as we gather together and we go through trials and we talk with people and they're going through different situations in their lives. We're able to be used by God to bring comfort to them because God brought their comfort to us. So Peter is saying because of his experience, he has something to say that we need to listen to. And this brings us to number four, uh, our, our fourth P, and it is the power. Look at verse three. We read, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. You catch the, the running theme here. The person is Peter. He's the author. The people he's writing to is you and I, like-minded believers. The purpose is spiritual knowledge that he can pass on to us from the lessons he has learned. And number four, the power Peter wants us to know comes from God who through his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. You know, the greatest thing, the biggest lesson we can learn is that through the power of God, He has given us everything we need to live a godly life. Everything you need to experience real life, abundant life, and to totally live, to live godly life is already given to you once you became born again. See, that word for godliness in verse 3 is translated true worship. So it's His divine power is given to us all things that pertain to life and to true worship. To worship means to show worth to God. It's worth-ship. Notice it doesn't say it'll, it will, will be given to you, or if you try hard enough, you, you'll get it. No, he says, through his divine power, he has given it to us. He's already given to us all things that we need to live godly lifestyles. Well, when was it given to you? Well, the moment you were born again. Remember when Jesus walked the earth just before the cross, he said to his disciples, it's good that I leave. And then he explained why in, in John 16, 7, For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. The Helper is the Holy Spirit. He's the agent of God's divine power. When you're born again, the Holy Spirit comes inside of you so that all the blessings of God are available to you at that moment. Physically speaking, it's like a, a newborn baby. Everything they need to live in this world is all packaged up in that little tiny body. I mean, they have it. It's all there, you know. Everything for living physically on this earth was given to them at birth. The problem is, they're still babies and they don't know how to use everything, how it all works. You know, you, they get a toy in their hands and they try and bring it up to their mouth and they hit themselves in the head or, or in the ear, you know. And, and the same thing is true for the binky, you know. They, the, the binky goes in the eye and, and, you know, and before long, I mean, they're flipping that thing around with their tongue and, I mean, as they get older, I remember, I think it was Joey, they could put the binky in his mouth and I can actually hold him up and he would hold on to the binky with it. Wow, you know. But everything is there, you know. He didn't need another mouth in order to do that. You know, he didn't need another, another set of eyes to, better to see the binky. It's all there, all packaged up in that little body. They just need to learn how to appropriate what they have. Again, in the same way, everything that, that we need for living godly lives and enjoying life to the fullest has already been given to us. Peter says, here's the key. You have everything you need in verse 3 through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue. The knowledge of Him. That same word for knowledge means an intimate knowing and an experiential understanding. And the more intimate knowing and more experiential understanding you have of Jesus Christ, the more you realize that our God is truly a God of grace. A God of second chances and third chances. And that despite our failures, He has given to us His grace exceedingly great and precious promises. And that's the, the fifth P. 
key in our points, and point number five, precious promises. I guess it would be the fifth and sixth P. Precious promises. So even though we may feel uh, weak in our faith, it may seem that we failed over and over again. Peter says, I know how that feels. I want you to know that you don't have to stay defeated. God has given to us, look at verse 4 again, exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. He's given us exceedingly great and precious promises. Now, I've said this many times before. I love the fact that, that big old, burly, salty Captain Peter uses the word precious. That's not a word that guys normally use. Girls, you know, they go, let's go to Precious Moments Chapel and they go to Precious Moments and go look at all the little dolls and, it, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a woman place is all I'm going to say. It's just precious. But, but, but Peter, and Peter's going, man, this is, this is precious. What was so precious to him is his salvation. Precious was Jesus' blood that was shed for him upon that cross. It was so precious. That word precious also means valuable, Costly, esteemed, and honored. This is powerful. Peter's saying, listen, what God has given to us is in these precious promises is valuable, costly, esteemed, and honored. You know there's something about the promises of God in that when it comes to God, a promise is a promise. God's not going to go back on his promises. For that, you and I should be extremely grateful. I mean, could you imagine if God said, you know, I know I promised to never leave you or forsake you, but you know what? I'm pretty much tired of you. See ya, you know. But God, you promised. No, I changed my mind. God would never do that. I mean, wouldn't it be a real bummer we get to heaven and, and, and Peter's there and, and Peter takes you before the Lord and, 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 I, and, 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 you, and Peter goes, oh, I'm sorry. God changed his mind. Uh, uh, this whole heaven thing, he's going to do away with that. Listen, that would never happen because the God who never lies promises heaven. He promises eternal life to all those who believe, to all who repent and trust in the finished work of the cross. And when God promises, makes a promise, a promise is a promise. You can take it to the bank. It's going to happen. Period. End of story. God doesn't change. You have his word on it. Malachi 3 verse 6. For I am the Lord. I do not change. Therefore you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. You have his word on it. Let me tell you about God's word. Psalm 138 verse 2. I will worship towards your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth. For you have magnified your word above all your name. God's word above his name. Powerful. You see, these precious promises are valuable. They're costly, esteemed, honored, powerful. And what Peter is saying here is what, with these promises, he says you can do in verse 4, you can escape all the corruption that is in the world through lust and you can enjoy and live this, in this divine nature. Let me give you an example of how to apply these precious promises to our life. Let's say tomorrow morning you get to work and you pull into the parking lot and, and uh, at the same time a co-worker pulls in but, and they make the same amount of money, but they pull in with this brand new car. New car or maybe a used car, but a new car to them. Not necessarily an item to covet, but with that said, you've been wanting a new car for a really long time doesn't matter, new car, anything. You're tired of opening your door to get your fast food, you know, out of the drive through window at the restaurant. You know, and, and, and you just can't afford one right now. But, but here's what's happening in your heart. You see this guy pull up in his car. A little bit of jealousy, right? A little bit of envy. And you're going, what's that guy doing with a new car? It can't be his. He, he's got to be borrowing it from somebody. 
And so he walks in the office and he's making a big deal over, kind of jangling his keys and proclaiming the great deal he got in his car. And, and he turns to you and says, hey, you want to go to lunch in my new car today? <laughs> Listen, if you don't keep that greed in check, it can turn into hatred, rivalry, bitterness, all sorts of sins. Animosity, vengeance. Get your keys out and get the door of their car, you know. Don't do that. But you may do it in your heart. Hopefully not. Be careful because that is the corruption that is, is in the world through lust. It, it wants to defile you. It wants you to get back into those sins. But listen, if you know the precious promises of God, it checks you. And suddenly it will lead you on that path of righteousness. Okay, what's a good precious promise for greed? How about Philippians 4.19? And my God shall supply all of your need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Philippians 4.19 So if God knocks in your heart when, when you're being greedy and you're looking at that guy's car and says, hey, hey, keep in check. Remember my promise. I'll supply all of your needs. If you want a car, just ease up. I know what you need. Not necessarily what you want, but I know what you need. And I'll meet that need exceedingly above what you may ask or think. And he may remember, we bring to your remembrance Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. Why? Because he's given us these precious, exceedingly great and precious promises. I don't have to react in those feelings of greed or envy over my co-worker's new car. I can instead rejoice with them. That my God has everything under control. He knows exactly what he's doing and what I need. That's why these promises are so great. And they're precious because they have value beyond calculation. Think about this. If we suddenly lost the Word of God, there'd be no way to replace it. It'd be horrible. In the same way, Peter talked about lust. That we have escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Let me give you a good example of this. Guys, some girl is walking along and you spot her. And she's wearing this wild type outfit on and you decide to take a little bit longer look. Now, it's been said, the first glance is not your fault. The second glance becomes sin. But I know, and you know men, there's that still, small voice that when that happens to you, you hear that voice whispering in your ear, I'm going to kill you. It's your wife. No, no. <laughs> it's the Lord. And the Lord and His Holy Spirit is saying, stop. Listen, there are precious promises to deal with three. When I see someone gain something I may long for, God will give me a, a positive promise. He'll supply all of my needs. But when it comes to lust, the promise I need is protective. I need a protective promise. So God, through His Holy Spirit, will bring back to my memory 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has taken you except such as common to man. But God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation, make a way for you to escape that you may be able to bear it. It's where the Word of God knocks on your heart and says, here's the Word, here's a way of escape. Don't look, turn your head, run the other way. In fact, He'll give you even more protective promises. 1 Corinthians 6, 18. Run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Maybe I'll throw another verse in your brain. 2 Timothy 2.22 Run from anything that stimulates youthful lust. Instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. Listen, we have, that, that is why we have these promises and why they're precious. Because they're positive and they're protective. That when we uh, 
obey them, they work. See, it's not just quoting them. We have to do what they say. And that must begin with hiding God's word in our hearts so the Lord can bring to our remembrance the promises that we need to see us through. As I shared last week when we said, thus saith the Lord, we need to know what the Lord doth saith. David put it this way in Psalm 119.11, Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. So Peter the person tells the people the purpose of the letter that we would grow in the knowledge and that God has given us power and precious promises to do just that. And the promises are precious, which means they're, remember, valuable, esteemed, and honored, and they're costly. Costly because Jesus Christ paid for them at the cross of Calvary. And now I have access to God because of what Jesus Christ has done for me. If it weren't for that fact, I would have no promises. So for you to live as though you have no strength to deal with those areas in your life that are slowing you down in your walk with, with Christ, it's just not true. You need to step back and look and see that you have everything you need to live a godly life. You've got these precious promises. And again, please grasp and understand that the only reason you have these precious promises is because Jesus Christ was broken and bruised for you. Only then you can appreciate the preciousness of those promises. And, and once I realize how precious they are, then it tells me I want to live to please God. I want to live with this divine nature that He's given to me, not my old nature. Again, verse 4, He says, been given these great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. We can partake of the divine nature of God. I like what Warren Wiersbe in his commentary of Second Peter chapter 1 says about the divine nature. And he says this, and I quote, When the sinner believes on Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God uses the Word of God to impart the life and nature of God within. A baby shares the nature of its parents, and a person born of God shares the divine nature of God. The lost sinner is dead, but the Christian is alive because he shares the divine nature. The lost sinner is decaying because of his corrupt nature, but the Christian can experience a dynamic life of godliness because he's God's given divine nature within. Mankind is under the bondage of corruption, Romans 8.21, but the believer shares the freedom and growth that is a part of possessing the divine nature, Warren Wiersbe. I like, in Warren's commentary, he goes on, I want to look at these things, to, to, it deals with, that he says the divine nature deals with, the nature deals with four areas of life. He says, nature determines appetite, nature determines behaviors, nature determines environment, and nature's, nature determines association. I started thinking about that, and it's really true. Think about that. Your nature determines your appetite. Now, my daughter Laura has a little dog, Bentley is his name, and uh, Bentley's, you know, nature determines Bentley's appetite. When Laura gets up in the morning, little Bentley's excited because he's going to get some of that hard, diamond-shaped dog food that she feeds him. Now, what's amazing is that he will eat this stuff, this rock-hard, diamond-shaped dog food, twice a day. In fact, he'll go over to his little bowl and he'll paw at his bowl and wait till he gets great, with great anticipation for this stuff. Now, I think, you know, if my wife fed me morning and evening rock-hard, diamond-shaped dog food, after about a week, I wouldn't be pawing the bowl for more food. Now, you may say, well, you don't know my wife's cooking. Rock-hard, diamond-shaped dog food would be an improvement. I, I feel sorry for you. <laughs> but here's my point. Nature determines appetite. If I say, Bentley, do you want a treat? He knows by the inflection of my voice what that means. He's going to get a snack that's good to eat. 
Bentley's nature determines appetite. Dogs, all dogs want to do is eat. I mean, it's all about food, 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 food. It's their nature. Now, if we move from appetite to behavior, then nature determines behavior. And we stay with Bentley the dog, right, as an example. If Bentley is over our house, and I throw this little stuffed animal that actually looks like a flattened out roadkill squirrel. If I throw this squirrel, Bentley will dart, dart after that like he's retrieving dinner for his master. And he'll shake that thing back and forth in his teeth, you know, as if he's really killing it. Now, if we have friends over, and Lisa takes that same squirrel, and I go with a mad dash after it, and I put it in my nice start shake, we have a problem here. It's not my nature. I'm not a dog. Though I've been in the doghouse before, it doesn't make me a dog. So we have an appetite, behavior. Next we have an environment, Warren talks about. Nature determines environment. Let's move to, from a dog to a cat that we used to have. I talked about her last week, Tinker Bell. Uh, we don't have her because she, of her name. Anyway, um, when we had the cat, we would put her in the laundry room. And, and she would sleep there at night. She was content to sleep there. We had her blanket in there. She had her water. She had her, her little rock-hard little diamond-shaped kitty food as well. And, and she didn't mind that too much. Now, on the other hand, if Lisa tells me that I have to sleep in the laundry room on my blanket with my rock-hard kitty food, there's a problem. It's not my nature. Appetite, behavior, environment, and fourthly, association. Nature determines association. Association simply means cats should hang out with other cats. You don't take your cats to the movies. You don't take them to restaurants. You don't take them with them grocery shopping. Now, some of you may do that. It, it's just not right, okay? I, I'm sorry. Dogs, I, I can kind of go along with dogs, but, but, but cats, cats, they're independent. They, they, don't, they don't do those things. You know, you know, normally, you don't take them with you to church. We had a guy years ago in California. He would take his cat to church and he'd sit in the back row and just kind of pet this thing and he was a little bit... Not all there, that's just what I should say. But cats should associate with other cats because that's their nature. I sell this to ask you, what is your nature? Do you have that divine nature of Christ? Because if that is your nature, then you have a spirit to follow after God. And it will affect your appetite. And it will affect your behavior. And it will affect your environment. And it will affect your association. Listen, as a Christian, your appetite should be for the things of God. For the Word of God. You can't get enough. You hunger for the Word of God. You want to devour the Word of God. Isaiah 28.10, we should uh, study precept upon precept, line upon line. In other words, Sunday morning just isn't enough for you. You're here Wednesday night. You're here at men's study or women's study. Every, every opportunity you get to gather to get into God's Word, you are there. Even if it's only for a few bites. On top of that, you don't only rely on what we do here to feed you God's Word. You feed yourself. You have a devotional life. You're in God's Word because you have this appetite for spiritual things. Listen, my role, my goal as a pastor is to whet your appetite for the things of God so that you'll desire to dig deeper into God's Word. But if you don't have that spiritual nature, then you don't have a spiritual appetite. And if you don't have a spiritual appetite when I'm teaching, you're looking at the screen behind me and wondering if it's going to, you can change your channel on it. Watch something different. You're looking at your phone, maybe checking your Facebook and emails and text messages and pretending to look at, oh, it's my Bible app that I have here, really, you know. Listen, if that's true for you, then it tells me something about your appetite. It tells me something about your spiritual condition. It tells me you're not where you need to be. 
Listen, we can move right up the ladder. What about behavior? Behavior is a Christian. If your appetite is for the Word of God and you crave the Word of God, then it's going to affect your behavior. Environment. You, you will like church even if you have a heart after God. Your environment in your home will reflect the things of God. The, the pictures on the wall, the, the shows on your TV, the, the, the social media pages, the conversations in the home, the places you go to, the movies you watch. If you have a heart after God, it will affect your environment. And when it comes to your association, you like Christians. You want to hang out with other Christians. You can't wait to come to church. And when the pastor cancels Wednesday night, you are bummed. What's wrong with him? Because you long for that fellowship with other believers if you have a heart after God. It will be our nature to please God because you now are partakers of the divine nature, as Peter says. Yet all too often, when it comes to our environment, our association, our behavior, we're not acting like spiritual beings. And because uh, we're not a part of the divine nature. We're not, you know, we're, we don't know the precious promises of God. And because we don't know the precious promises of God, though we all have all, all we need, we're not acting like it. We're not doing it. And we're suffering. Because we're not focused that way, then when someone asks, well, how's church going? Well, it becomes, I don't know. I don't, I don't think I really like the teaching there. I think I need some different food. Or I don't know if I really like some people behave there. I don't know if I like the environment. I think we need more screens or less screens or more skits or, or more music or not like this music or that. Or I don't like this or I don't like that. And, and going on and on and on. If that's where you're at, then you need to ask yourself, then, then what is your nature? Is it for the things of God or is it for the things of man? Because if you start trying to fill your life with, with other things rather than to appropriate what God has already given to you, then you're not going to be satisfied. You're going to come up empty over and over again. That is why it's not a matter of needing more or something different, but again, appropriating what God has already given to each one of us. It's not enough just to have what we need. We also must use what God has given to us. It's applying God's Word to our lives. Again, back in verse 3, as His divine power is given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, exceedingly great, precious promises. I want to close with one more quote from Warren Wiersbe. He says this, and I quote, If nature determines appetite, and we have God's nature within, then we ought to have an appetite for that which is pure and holy. Our behavior ought to be like that of the Father, and we ought to live in the kind of spiritual environment that is suited to our nature. We ought to associate with that which is true to our nature, the only normal fruit-bearing life for the child of God is a godly life. End quote. Listen, we started our study talking about getting back in the game. Having failed and getting up again. And Peter, the person, did it. And so could we, the people he's writing to. Because we have purpose in life. We have the power to accomplish it through the Holy Spirit. And we have the precious promises of God. Do you believe that? Listen, if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, you have all that you need to succeed in this life, to make a difference in this life. Even if you fail, God is able to do exceedingly above and beyond what we can ask or think. God can use you once again as He used Peter to make an impact on our lives some 2,000 years later. Who knows what God can do for you? Get back in the game. And listen, if you don't know Christ this morning, then I want you to know that, that God loves you. And he sent his son to die for you upon the cross. And if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you can be saved, you can have your sin forgiven, and you can be the promise of heaven and eternity with Christ. That's a promise that, that God has made. He will change you 
from the inside out. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is, is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. If you want to be changed from the inside out, you want that new creation in Christ, you want that old life to be done away with, you want to live that new nature in Christ, then give your life to Jesus Christ this morning. Turn from your sin, turn to Him, and He will give you that divine nature. You'll be born again today. As soon as service is over, the elders are up front. We'd love to pray with you and give you a Bible. Come up and talk to us. You want to give your life to Jesus Christ. That's what we're here for. We'd love to see it this morning. Finally, I want to close with this. Many of you have known or knew that, that Billy Graham passed away this last week. And, and uh, uh, his life was absolutely amazing to look at. And there's been all sorts of videos and commentaries on it. And, uh, and I've watched them, probably all of them, uh, that have come out. And they've really touched me. But what God can do with one man who surrendered their hearts and life to Jesus Christ. Uh, amazing. And, and, and I thought, you know, as I watch each one of these videos, uh, I realized, and it inspired me, what well, I want to do more for your kingdom. I want to do more to see people come to faith in your son, Jesus Christ. I want to do more in serving you, Lord. I want to have an abundant entrance into heaven. And it just inspired me watching these videos. So what I want to do is, is show this video uh, uh, to you guys and, and, and to see, I, I mean, think about this, out of the... 215 million people, it says that Billy Graham has shared the gospel with. 215 million. And out of that, it says 3 million people have responded to faith in Jesus Christ. Could you imagine the homecoming that he has? I mean, Jesus is right there. I mean, he's blessed. He's home in heaven and Jesus is there. Thrilled. And then all these people coming up from the 40s and the 50s and 60s that have gone home to be with the Lord saying, thank you for being faithful to the Lord. Thank you for being faithful to the Lord. Just an amazing life. So I want to show this, this video. It, it, it came out with a, uh, the song I can only imagine. We have to download it live on the internet so we might get an ad pop up in here and there because we couldn't download it. But, but uh, anyway, here it is. We'll watch it. <laughs> 